the warning signs will be a really large and well-known logo and you're super excited to get that logo but they're saying you know Caligo is great but we wanted to do this and that and that and you're starting to bend your own rules and starting to think okay but can we stretch to do that just because we want to get this logo but it's it's not good in the end Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me Joseph Olsen as your host I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams book more meetings The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Anders Svensson, CEO and co-founder of Poligo, and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Andesh. Thank you. Good to be here. How are you today? Really good. Psyched. Nice. And then let's kick this off with first thing first. Who is Andesh? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. Well, I could start by saying that I think it's always awkward to talk about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But... I would say, to try to describe myself, I'd I'd say I'm sort of like a jack of all trades is the way I think of myself. Um, Not quite an expert on um, one particular thing, but pretty good at at, uh, many things. And I'm really passionate about everything I set out to do, borderline obsessive. And... One thing is I've always had a desire to build things. Whatever work work or job I had before, I wanted to build things. And even back in my university years, I, to be honest, I was unsure what to do with my disparate interests. I, you know, I was doing everything from art and literature to linguistics and programming. But I think, you know, in the end, that's what made me an entrepreneur because I found a way to sort of channel all those different interests. And have you, like you mentioned from your studies, is it even earlier you saw uh, like your obsession that you go all in? Or or was that something that have grown during your young adult life? Or was you like a child playing with Lego and wanted to build the best Lego or something like that? Actually, I think so. I think because I remember one thing that my parents told me is that my my grandmother used to to say when when Anders starts something, he just goes all in. So apparently, yes. (laughs) Okay, so so all in Anders. Thank you for sharing. And then we move forward to your company. It's time for the elevator pitch, Anders. What does your company, Paligo, do? So very briefly, it's a SaaS solution for efficiently creating and publishing technical documentation by reusing content. And I'll try to explain that a little bit more. Basically, to start, technical documentation, not everyone knows or understands exactly what that is, but it's actually something that's everywhere and everyone's using it, but they might not just think of it with that term. So manuals, user guides, 
handbooks, online help, support knowledge bases, even other areas like compliance or regulatory documentation for the life sciences or, or insurance and banking, standard operating procedures. All of this is technical documentation and pretty much every company has it and has a problem with it because it's really complex, especially if you have multiple products, multiple product series, if you have multiple versions, if you're translating into many languages, all of this gets super complex and chaotic. And it takes up a lot of time and effort and money to handle all of this traditionally. So that's what Poligo does. Basically, what we're doing is we're creating a way to create documentation from a single source and reusing it as modular building blocks. So you basically just create your content in one place, update it in one place, and publish to many versions, to many output channels, and so on. And this Great. is not really, it's not really something, a new idea. It's been around for a long time, at least since, you know, like the 80s or the 90s. But what we did was basically make it a modern and user-friendly cloud platform. The existing tools were mostly on-prem, could take years to implement, etc. And I, I love this type of businesses because when I was younger, oh, you need to change the world with building the next Apple, Microsoft. No! It can only be so few of uh, those companies. The, the easiest way to true success is what you just said. Take yeah. something that's not super new, but do it much more modern and better and easier. You know, sometimes in, in uh, presentations of Polygo, I, I'm not saying that we're Apple, but the thing is, there's a comparison. I think <clears throat> what, what Apple did with the iPhone was they didn't create something new. There were no, smartphones before iPhone but they just did it so much better and so much more usable. It, it's more, yeah, you're totally true. Yeah, it's the same, uh, but better. Thank you for a, a great pitch, Anders. Uh, and now I'm curious to hear the why behind Paligo, because I, why is such a driver? So please, can you share, why did you start at Paligo? Sure. I would say it's a, sort of a version of the scratch your own itch situation because I was, I was working for years in, in this business and in this industry of technical documentation as a consultant. So I was basically helping companies, large enterprises to implement CCMS software, as we're called component content management systems for efficient technical documentation and content reuse and structured authoring. So I was trying to always find better solutions for this. Um, with what was out there on the market. But at the same time, being, you know, obsessed with this, as I've mentioned, having always tried to find something better, even tinkering with program, programming my own solution. I came across my then, after that, co-founder, Frank. We started working on this together because he had sort of started the seed of something for a cloud platform for technical documentation. And basically that's the way it started. So I, I wanted to find something better. And in the end, we, Frank and I started 
this to to create it ourselves and starting with your own itch it's the best way <laughs> then you at least know that there is a, some sort of problem there then you know there's a need yeah okay so talk about go to market and now i don't want to be very broad i want to nail super detailed in one thing uh, and i want to know if you need to mention the one thing that's most important connected to go to market strategy according to you what's that hmm. well I, I i would say if, if we're looking at it from poligo's perspective we've been Poligo as a company has been quite unusual, I think, because we won over the uh, U.S. market right from the start. So what that what made that happen was we just went global immediately. When we launched, we were thinking, okay, so this is not a local problem that we're solving. So why would we just try to sell this on the local market? So what we tried to do was basically do everything we could to create an online presence globally. So we did everything from you know social media to online advertising and working on content and SEO and so on, everything to just get word out there. And so to me or to Poligo, that was the, the key thing because that made us get traction globally and especially the US market. So the US became our biggest customer base really early on and it still is our biggest customer base with over 50 percent of our, our customers the thing is i i don't know if that's universal i think it's probably good to look at your your product and see is there a um, chance that we we can actually just go global directly and then do it but i think that's the thing we we had a very clearly identified uh, gap on the market that we were filling there basically were almost no tools in the SaaS realm for what we were doing. Most of it was just on-prem traditional tools. So yeah, that was key to us. Okay, uh, super interesting. So if we stay here, because at the end now, you explain it a bit, because otherwise I thought, oh, this sounds crazy. But okay, so if the comp competition field is almost no SaaS globally, and you have figured, please help me understand, you had understand some sort of ICP before you went for it, like, right? So, so you have found your ICP, you had seen a gap in the market globally for a small niche, and then, then you went for it with online presence right away because before getting these last pieces of the puzzle, I thought, shit, how, how should you attract leads and do, do, do their own... In marketing work, uh, but but then then it makes much more sense. So so this was the case for you then. If, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. So the market was already feeling the gap. Uh, so when we started making ourselves known, basically, yes, we we had this very very luxurious situation for years where we were just basically receiving orders, and in, in, in a sense, customers were coming to us. And uh, uh, before asking this question, I told you I want to go really deep here, not not broad over go to market strategy, but in the thing you would say we, we would stay here. So so please, for anyone listening, having the same luxury, it's hard in one way because you need, uh, but it's a luxury in another way. 
where, where did you start and was it uh, was it a white paper was it a webinar how did you get like the first traction in uh, i think you understand what i'm fishing for right mm. Yeah, we well we tried everything in parallel. Uh, so we we were at events, for instance, but that didn't you know pay off at all at that time. It was you know that we weren't well known enough at that time for that to to be uh, right. But all the different online uh, efforts that we we made, we we made them in parallel. But I think for us was we we cracked the nut of Google Ads fairly early on. And that did a big difference for us. Okay, so if I'm moving on now to my following question connected to go to market and marketing, uh, my main question here is what's the main thing that's generated most leads for you now? But I will actually throw in now what was the main thing when you hit product market fit? Uh, and I think you just answered it right. So, so the big first main thing was really cracking down Google ads for, yeah, now we are talking almost 10 years ago, right? No, well, actually, this was around 2017. Okay. So we, we launched in 2016. Okay, um, exactly. 2017 yeah. was when, when things started rolling for real. Um, okay, so, so th- we, that was the first big thing, but a disclaimer for the listener, this was, like Anders said, this was seven years ago. So what worked then maybe it won't work right now. But this was the first thing, Google Ads. And mm-hmm. then, then if we shift the focus to present day, what is the main channel or thing that generates the most leads for you now? Mm. Yeah. And <clears throat> funnily enough, it's it's not totally different. We are still seeing inbound leads as the biggest channel so far. But it's sort of a mix. It's not purely from advertising. It's a lot more of just organic traffic these days and word of mouth and so on that also provides inbound leads. Different other uh, channels like review sites and so on. But yes, there is a, a big difference now in that eventually, you know, we were a smaller startup then. And, and the need to just constantly grow means that eventually you need to also change the strategy because it's not going to be forever. Inbound leads are not just going to grow forever. So we are right now in our scale-up stage. We are now actually having to crack the, the, the code of, of outbounding because we were, you know, we were sort of spoiled for, for a long time and having so much inbound traffic that we didn't really need to crack outbounding. So for some time now, we've been working more and more on outbounding, and that is becoming a bigger lead source for us as well. I think and the, the, the planes are going to shift a little bit. And if, if, I, if I stay here to really get the, the one answer about marketing, if you, if you can't be too fluffy, what, what is the, the one thing within inbound in the umbrella there? What is the one thing that you would see for Q4 or, or, or 2023 generated the most leads? Was it review sites? Was it word of mouth? What was the marketing channel? Or for thing? inbound, specifically for yeah. inbound? Yeah, yeah, no, for, for, for leads at general, but your leads at general maybe was inbound, but a part of inbound. Yeah, and, and I think the, the trick here is that you're, you're sort of spot on when you're saying that things change, you know, and, and 
seven years ago with Google ads, it yeah. was easier. And then Google goes and makes changes to their algorithms and everything, and they do it constantly, as well as competition growing for, for the ads and for the keywords and everything. But the thing is, what we've realized is that it's all interconnected. So even if you do, you know, have inbound leads coming not directly from the ads, they will still affect yeah. each other in ways that you can't really measure reliably. But that you need to basically, in, in our in our view, you need to do all of it at once, and then that will be successful. But you, you can't just consider that okay. So, you're not seeing the conversions directly from the ads that you're expecting, but you will, you know, it will have ripple effects on other parts of inbound. And then, like I said, for us, outbounding is more like the new kid on the block and we're, <laughs> we're growing that as we speak. And if we talk about outbound or yeah, framing with another word, outreach, this is a favorite topic of mine because basically my tool, VAM, was a video tool, but now we have moved into the outreach space with VAM outreach. So I want to understand data points from you here, not of how you are doing your outbound. I want to understand, Anders, what's your preferred way of being contacted from a salesperson, a B2B salesperson, meaning the best way to do outreach to you? Mm. Well, it, it has to be email or LinkedIn, some way like that. It can't be phone. Phone doesn't work for me. I will be rather dismissive if, if I get a sales call on the phone. But so, yeah. And so it's, you know, email, LinkedIn, that sort of thing. But again, I mean, it's tough these days. You need to really stand out. And how the ones that stand out for three weeks ago or uh, two months ago to you, what was it? You, you don't need to say the company or the person, but what was it with that? Was it, I don't want to, I don't want to steer you too much. I just opened the, asked this open question to get you to, to narrow it down. I think it's the ones that to me have a really, really short, succinct message where they clearly make the message stand out. So I can read it in a fraction of a second, basically. That to me is is most effective. Good. Okay. We we leave the topic of go to market marketing and outbound and outreach, etc., and head over to the community because now it's time for an external question. And today we're quickly joined by Alice Holmgren at Adligo. And this is her question. Hi Anders. It seems like you really have figured out a great way to sell to big enterprises. What's the three most important things to think of when selling to enterprises, according to you? Okay. I would say one thing is to not get blinded by the largest enterprises. Of course, we love the great large enterprise logos that we won and have in our customer base, but you need to remember that they're not your only customers. You need to stay true to your roadmap uh, because it's really easy to get tempted to make that really odd feature for that single large enterprise company and that could drag you into a rabbit hole basically. You need to understand that with enterprises you need to play by their rules to some extent, but that it's also important to stand your ground and not be a pushover. 
and it usually works fine and you get respect from it in the end. A third one is that I think you need to realize that enterprises are very different from one another. Some enterprises are really centrally organized and run and they can take ages to deal with, whereas some others are really like a cluster of many small companies in one. And in my experience, that's usually more easy to deal with because they'll be more agile. Very interesting. Alice, thank you for the question. Great answers here. And Anders, if we talk about... Yeah, I want to talk about uh, all the uh, bullets. First, do not get blinded by the biggest. Is that talking from your own experience with the rabbit hole? Or were you? did you say no early enough? Or were, did you take a trip down to the rabbit hole? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of SaaS CEOs out there will recognize this. I think many have, uh, at least if they have been working a lot with enterprises, you will have fallen into that trap. It's just too easy to get tempted into it. So you, you need to sort of learn the lesson and then understand that that's something you need to be careful with. And since you are talking about lesson, careful with it, it's not maybe the best choice you did, I can assume. So can you now please help me and other understand the warnings like 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 Anders uh, warning signs when you actually really should think and pause maybe what would you from your own lessons say that could be yeah I think I think you need to to remember that your SaaS software your the the and the really big benefit of this is that you you can really serve a large customer base making improvements just for all of them at once and you don't even have to sort of redeploy or, or anything like that. It's instantly fixed for, for every customer. And so that's the benefit that you need to, to take care of. And what then happens is the warning signs will be a really large and well-known logo, and you're super excited to get that logo. But they're saying, you know, Caligo is great, but we wanted to do this and that and that. And you're starting to bend your own rules and starting to think, okay, but can we stretch to do that just because we want to get this logo? But it's it's not good in the end. Okay, so you, they are asking for several things from some of your principles, building the product, etc. You feel like now I'm pushing a line and maybe also you don't see any clear path to have a second or third or 10th customer with this type of product or feature. It's like super. Okay. If if the customers are asking for something that would be beneficial to a a larger customer base, then of course, then it's something that you just consider adding on the roadmap. But when it's very, very particular for this particular customer, then you become like bespoke software. You want to avoid that when you're a SaaS company. And the second bullet, need to play by their rules, but then you throw in at the same time standard ground. So can you share some wisdom regarding the best way to stand your ground, but in a like enterprise polite way, so they they like you and respect you, but they... Don't feel, but you are still playing according to them. Yeah, I mean, they will 
being a large company, they will see that they have processes that they need to abide by within their company and and that they're also usually they're they're sort of used to at least smaller vendors just accommodate <clears throat> sorry accommodating this and and to some extent you do need to do that but you often don't have to go that far i mean when you know just to take some example uh some companies will just say well forget about your uh contract let's just use ours and you want to stay away from that because you have a contract you have a an MSA for a reason that's adapted to what you're selling, basically. And what we had to realize over time was that it was just important that that MSA covered what big enterprises needed it to cover, but it becomes really difficult when you start trying to use the customer's MSA because it's going to be very, very, very much adapted to their terms and often completely irrelevant to what you as a business are selling. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, uh, so last quick comment before we move on regarding the last bullet with big enterprises are different from each other. Some take ages and some are quick with more, quote, smaller uh, clusters. How do you, what is your trick to identify uh, the more cluster enterprise? You well, there are different signals. I mean, huge RFP coming from someone that you understand is not really very involved in the the, the use of the software they're looking for. That is a sign of a centralized enterprise to me. Whereas if the reach out comes from someone who has is either a user or a potential user of the software or at least someone close to that team that's more likely to be a decentralized enterprise good there, there are several of those signals but that's just a couple of examples good really helpful and yeah very interesting answers here so I, I feel that I have learned several new things regarding this field, but we need to go on on it. And we have arrived to a topic of your choice. Now it's time for you, Anders, to talk about something that you are nerdy about and feel passion for. That's the only rule. The floor is yours. All right. I think the thing I get nerdy about is... The, the problem that we're trying to solve really with Polygo is structured authoring and content reuse. And I mean, this is the core of Polygo, meaning having content that is structured in a meaningful way and content that is managed as building blocks that can be reused. But why I get really involved and engaged in, in talking about this is that we're selling something that companies are not even aware in many cases that, that it's a problem. I mean, many companies and many uh, people in senior management, like I started out saying in this podcast that many are not even aware what technical documentation is. And 
even less so that there's a problem with it. But like I said, almost any every company has technical doc, technical technical documentation and and a lot of them have really complex technical documentation. But that this means that when the customer is not even aware of the problem becomes a really educational challenge for us to basically you, you have to make them understand that they actually have the problem before they know it. But um, yeah, so to me, that's that's something that engages me because I, I and I think we're, what we're trying to do is get this out to when, when our marketing team is working on, on content for SEO and, and just for educating. It's about this, getting more of an understanding of how problematic content and documentation really is for so many companies and getting an awareness out there about this and that there actually are super smart solutions for it. Basically... I think the, the, the problem can be that you, you can stay busy uh, and, and seem like um, you're being productive if you have technical documentation that always needs to be fixed because, you, you know, you have inconsistencies because you've been sort of trying to keep uh, product manuals for 800 products updated manually in Word or whatever it might be. Well, then you're going to seem busy all the time. And you, you could basically go say, hey, we were really successful in, in producing a lot of work last year and updating all of the 800 product manuals that were faulty before because we hadn't been able to keep up. So you're sort of, sort of busy. But what if you don't create those problems instead? What if you just create content in one single source and then create all the different versions from that just need to update it in one place? And that's the sort of thing that gets me engaged and nerdy about this because that solution is out there and there are just so many companies not aware of the problem from my point of view this is extremely subjective but i i really loved the last part you said with a person or a team being super busy but they are working <laughs> stupid things bullshit things when they could have yeah that, there you really nailed it uh, with, with your topic and uh, connected it uh, and with this it means that we are entering the roundup we only have a few questions left and the first thing is a book tip what's mm -hmm. your favorite business leadership uh, book oh business and leadership book you know i don't read that many business or leadership books i, I used to do general book then Past. <laughs> okay, so general book, just fiction. I'll, I'll say my, my favorite book, speaking of nerdy, this is why I thought of this. It's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I knew when you said speak of nerd, I knew that from, from what I get to know you too. Okay, Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy. Second last question. A life motto. Can you share one of your favorite life mottos? Mm -hmm. I like those sort of things. Well, I'm not sure if I call them life mottos, but well, one that sort of a life motto has been attributed to John Lennon, but I don't think it's actually true from what I read. It's from somewhere else, but he used it in a lyric. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. I think that's a good one. 
And another one that's sort of related to this wouldn't be a life motto, but more like a slogan that I like and, and apply a lot. And I, I'm, I'm a bit miffed that Nike stole it. It's just do it. <laughs> but it's just so applicable. I mean, don't, don't be just making plans all the time. Just get going and just do it. Roll up the sleeves. And the very last thing then, and now you're talking to yourself, the younger self. If you would give yourself the top one, two, three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know like five, 10, 15 years ago, what would you tell yourself? Okay, one to three things. I would say first thing to tell my younger self is just grow older. It will help. So, uh, because actually, you know, there, there's always a time in, in your youth, you may be doing great, but in the end, experience does help a lot. Uh, I've come to, to learn basically. And the second thing I would tell my younger self is don't try to do everything at once. You'll be burning your candle at both ends. Should we stop with two things? Or do you have a third to yourself? I can't think of a third right now, so no. <laughs> Then we stop with two things. And with these words, I quickly shift in the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you got some sort of value here from Anders, don't be selfish. Tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Anders from Paligo in B2B SaaS And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Anders... A huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes to get with me to help the SaaS community to keep on learning. Thanks for having me. <laughs>